How many of you know uh, Ray that did our communion meditation today? <clears throat> Love Ray. Listen, maybe there's some things you don't know about Ray. Ray came to Jesus at 60 years old. And um, he was a tough guy. In fact, after he came to Jesus, if there was somebody that, that was difficult in the hospital, Joe would send Ray in. And uh, one day he walked in and there was a biker and Ray said, well, I'm here to pray for you. And he's like, I don't need any stinking prayers from you. And Ray said, just shut up. I'm going to pray for you. And, uh, and he did. I love what God has done in Ray's life. <laughs> and friends, here's the thing. Ray really, when we look at this passage today, I see Ray in his heart. And um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 today, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your mobile devices. And um, we are the fellowship of the cracked pots, right? We've been talking through this series that uh, we are like these fragile clay jars. And everybody that has ever had a clay jar knows that clay jars get nicked and bumped and scratched and cracked and begin to lose its shape and lose its luster and lose its uh, beauty as time goes on. And Paul says that it's in these fragile clay jars that God decided to give us this beautiful treasure that gives us our worth, that gives us our hope, that continues to guide our steps. And then last week we talked about though we are hard-pressed on every side, we are not crushed, though we are knocked down, we are not defeated, though we are hard-pressed, we are not destroyed. And here's the thing, friends. This treasure that God has given to us to carry not only has great value and great worth because of who it is to us, what it tells us, the story that we get to carry with us, but because it is transformative. This treasure has the power to change you. This treasure has the power to, to allow you to go through a metamorphosis. This treasure is your ticket to knowing what God wants to do in your life and in your, the life of your family and your friends as you continue walking with him so that even a 60-year-old, cranky old dude can come to Jesus and be changed. Do <laughs> you know what it means to be transformed? Anybody grow up with uh, these things called transformers? You could change the, the toy, go from one thing to another. Probably the best definition of transformation that I know of is the story. Anybody, anybody grew up up north, Indiana, the great state of Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Michigan? Okay, so all of us who, uh, I always tell people, Indiana's a great place to grow up, grow up. Florida's a great place to live. Can I get an amen? So, <clears throat> right, so in Indiana, I grew up with Amish kids. Uh, anybody else grew up with Amish folks? Okay, my mom used to love to go to Shipshawana and see them. But... There's a story told of an Amish family uh, who had gone to the mall for the very first time. There's a father, a, a mother, a son, and a daughter, or two daughters. And they got to this mall, and it was just amazing. They'd never seen anything like it. And so the mother took the daughters and wanted to go shop. And the dad and the son just said, they're going to just hang out. And as they were sitting there, they, they saw this amazing metal wall. And the son said, Dad, what is that? And he said, I don't have any idea. And 
A few months later, there was a 93-year-old woman with a cane who started walking towards that metal wall. She pushed her hand against it, and the metal wall opened up. The little old lady hobbled in to that wall. The wall closed. A few minutes later, the wall opened again, and a 24-year-old beautiful woman walked out. And the son said, Dad, what is that? And he said, I don't know, son, but go get your mom. (laughs) That is transformation. That is the power to change, right? We have these treasures in jars of clay that transform us and change us. And friends, the good news should change us. The good news that we carry should transform us. We're going to start in verse 13 today. And this is what it says. It says, Paul says this, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God. And so I spoke. You see, his belief was so deep inside of him that it would not allow him to continue on the way that he had gone. When you encounter Jesus on the road, whatever road that may be, just like when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he was knocked down by the light of the glory of Jesus, it should change you if you believe what the word says. It should change you with the relationship that you have. It cannot leave you the same. You cannot be the same that you were before you encountered the light and and held this treasure. In fact, it is so overwhelmingly powerful that it can change the way that we act, the way that the decisions that we make, the way that our marriages are, the way that we interact with people on the street or in the marketplace or in our schools. It should change the way that we it should change the way that we interact with our world, shouldn't it? Paul was so radically changed. I mean, you think about this. Paul used to be named Saul and he was this guy that was a Jew among Jews who was doing everything he could. He went to the very best schools. He learned from the very best teachers. He was rising up. He had the right family connections. He was most likely in the Sanhedrin. He was probably at the, at the trials of Jesus. Here was a man who was radically sold out for Judaism in Acts chapter eight. When we see the persecution of the the first Christian as Acts chapter seven and Stephen was going to be stoned. The guy that is organizing it and leading it and over the people who are there is this guy by the name of Saul. After he begins this murderous pursuit of Christians in Jerusalem and the surrounding area of killing Christians and imprisoning Christians and um, destroying families and closing churches, he takes his act on the road and he starts headed north to Damascus where he encounters Jesus. And friends, he will never be the same again. He will never walk down the same path. He is willing to walk away from the relationships and the prestige and all of the honors he'd been given because he met a Jesus who changed him, who gave him hope, who changed his perspective. Because you can't be the same that you were after you encountered Jesus, the same that you were before you met Jesus, because he changed us. Listen, in the earlier letter to the church of Corinthians, Paul is talking about this transition that takes place inside of him, this transformation. This is what he has to say about his passion for Jesus. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it, by the way, this is James, the brother of Jesus. I'm going to get back to first Corinthians right now. This is what first Corinthians says. He said, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am, what does that word say? Compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. 
Because something inside of him had been radically changed. And if you believe something with all of your heart, if you believe that this is the way, the truth, into life, into to a better life here on this earth before, as we prepare for the, the life that's to come, it should change us. Friends, let me ask you a question. How many of you have had a family member or a friend that's died of cancer? Heart disease? COVID? Sickness? They just got really old. If I told you that we had discovered an incredible cure that would cure cancer and heart disease, that no one would ever have to suffer from the challenges of aging or sickness or immobility or ride in a wheelchair again, (laughs) would you tell somebody? Would you take it to somebody? But what if I told you that Jesus has taken your sins that were like scarlet and washed them as white as snow? What if I told you you didn't have to walk in your shame and your guilt anymore? What if I told you that your past mistakes and regrets could be wiped clean? What if I told you that you didn't have to live like you acted before? What if I told you <laughs> What if I told you you have value? What if I told you that God still wants to use you in his kingdom to do something incredible. What if I told you that today was not the end of your days, but today is the beginning of your days? What if I were to tell you that after all of these years and all of these choices and all of these relationships, now was the time that God was going to use you to do something amazing? I believed in Jesus and so I'm compelled to speak. Just as the psalmist says, because belief compels us to action. Now we're going to get to James, who was the brother of Jesus. Think about this. His brothers and sisters, remember Jesus is meeting. um, He's talking, teaching one day. And we know that Mary shows up with Jesus' brothers, as well as some sisters, multiple sisters. We don't know how many. They don't name them. But none of them are believers. Yet after Jesus raises from the dead, what we see is his unbelieving brother give his life to Jesus because he believes and knows he's Messiah. He has seen the resurrected Jesus. I mean, if your brother told you he was God, what would you say? Maybe mom believes so, but I don't. Not only does he give his life to Jesus, but he comes, becomes the leader of the first century church in Jerusalem above Peter, above John, above All the other disciples, James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the leader. They called him old camel knees. That wasn't necessarily a term of endearment. They called him camel knees because his knees were so calloused from praying all the time. The reason he was killed is because they take him up to the Temple Mount, the highest point in Jerusalem, and they said, he is a man that is respected by both Jews and Christians. James, tell these people that your brother was not God. So they can't do it. And so they threw him off the highest point of the Temple Mount. He hits the ground, but he doesn't die. So they take a a club that was used to beat laundry and they bash his brains in. 
It wouldn't have changed things if he would have known how it was going to end because he knew that Jesus was God. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And if you believe, you must speak. Belief compels us to action. This is what he wrote to us about how belief compels us to action. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. So let me ask you, how are you doing on living out your faith? How are you doing when it comes to your neighbors? How are you doing when you go to the marketplace? How has the word of God transformed the way that you act? Listen, I hate to beat a dead horse. Anybody else have, you know, grow up on a farm? I'm not going to talk about dead horses. Here's the thing, though. Joe made an announcement a couple weeks ago that for every two shoeboxes we send out, one child accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior. Does your faith compel you to act? Or does it allow you to sit in your chair at home eating bonbons watching Days of Our Lives? Is Days of Our Lives even shown anymore? (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble. When Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, it knocked him off his donkey, according to the NIV. Check it out in the King James Version. So what are you doing? How is your faith compelling you to act? One of my favorite movies. What's your favorite movie on the count of three? Just yell it out. One, two, three, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. I love it that you guys love my movies. I don't know how that always works out. Here's the thing. In Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, if you never have seen it, it came out in 1989. Harrison Ford is our intrepid archaeologist. His father is only really 10 years older than him in real life, but is his father in the movie. His name is Sean Connery. You may have heard of him before. And Sean Connery is a true believer. He has been spent his entire life studying this mythical object called the Holy Grail, which was the cup of Christ, which held that he used at the Last Supper, and then it caught the blood of Christ as it poured forth from his wound in his side uh, during the crucifixion. It supposedly has the power to heal, to give everlasting life. It came along long before um, Ponce de Leon, right? Who's also a pitcher for the Cardinals, but I don't understand it. So anyway... Indiana Jones feels left out. He feels like his dad has given him so much time to uh, this mythical quest that he didn't pay enough attention to him. And he's frustrated by it. They come back in. There's the Nazis are looking for this, the, the Holy Grail so that they can have dominant power over the world. So Dr. Jones Sr. has to find it first. And so he takes his son, Indiana, uh, which is a great name. And at one point, they're getting ready to, to move on and... and Dr. Jones recognizes that Indiana doesn't have faith in what this really is. And he's like, son, you've got to believe. It's just not a story. This is true. And unless you believe, you're never going to be able to find it. And so they go through this internal conflict and this conversation. Um, They get to 
the port where they've almost found the grail and there's the, the Nazis and everything. And Dr. Jones had told his son earlier that whoever got to the grail would have to overcome three great tests. And he had the, the keys to overcoming those tests. So they want Indiana Jones to go find it. He won't do it. And so the Nazi soldier shoots his dad and says, the only way you can save your dad is if you get the grail and give him some water from the grail. So Indiana Jones has to now face these three great challenges. The last challenge is called a leap from the lion's head. And earlier he had seen this, um, this picture of a crusader walking across a cliff. Mike, do we have that? You can bring that up. Um, I'm going to jump out of line here. A crusader walking with the grail over a cliff that leads to death. And he gets to this chasm and he sees that it's just endlessly um, open and, and that you could fall forever. And he's thinking to himself, there's no way anybody could leap across this. There's no way that I could, you know, even if I was a track star, I, I couldn't jump across this gorge. And so he has a moment of, of um, heart... Um, What's it called when your heart skips a beat? Arrhythmia, palpitations. That's what the Tin Man called it. Um, he's like, I, I don't know what to do. And you hear his dad say, son, you must believe. You must believe. You must believe. And Indiana says, I must believe. I must believe. And then you see this dramatic scene where he sticks out his leg, which is hanging over nothing. And then he steps down on solid ground. Friends, there's going to be times like that in your life. My wife's favorite verse is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sincere faith, when you believe, it compels you to act, even when you don't know where your next step is going to be. It, it allows us to take a step even when we're afraid, because ultimately belief is going to lead us to hope. Taking steps of faith are difficult, but our belief inspires us in us hope. Our belief carries us through even when we don't know how we're going to, do, how we're going to move forward. We believe in Jesus and what Jesus has told us. And this treasure and the good is the good news we carry inside of us tells us that the best is yet to come. For those who trust in Christ and for his promises. And when you believe in something good, when you believe that Jesus is the truth, you've got to believe that heaven awaits. Verses 14 and 15 say this. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. The truth is, is that Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. And then when he went to the tomb and he rose from the grave, he gave us life eternal. So your sins have been wiped away. Your truth, your life, your hope has been assured for those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior and accept him and his free gift of salvation to any that will accept it. Even if you're a 60 year old, crazy old guy, Jesus can save you. So our faith in Jesus and trust in Jesus means we must follow him regardless of where that leads. Anybody like history in here? 
So I, I found that we like history the older we get because it's like looking back on our life story. But I've always loved history. Uh, Eusebius tells us a story of, he was a first century author, uh, and some other Christian authors tell us a story of the 40 martyrs of Sebasti. Uh, now, the 40 martyrs of Sebasti were elite Roman uh, soldiers. They were called the Lightning Division. And what had happened at that time in history was, is there had been a break in the Roman Empire. There was the Western Empire and there's the Eastern Empire. Uh, Constantine had given his life to Christ. And so it, being a Christian was a good thing. But in the Eastern Empire, they still worship pagans. And this group of soldiers was stationed in the east. And so the governor said to them, listen, if you are a Christ follower, you must give up that religion and that following and bow down to our idols so that we can be victorious on the field. And these 40 elite soldiers refused to do that. And so he had them taken and flogged and beaten and bloodied and um, said, now will you turn back to the real gods of Rome and of uh, the empire. And they said, no. And they said, okay, so what we're going to do is in the dead of winter in Turkey, we're going to send you out onto a frozen pond naked. And you're going to stay there until you either die or, or renounce Jesus over here. There'll be a nice warm bath and a fire. Well, they didn't have to take the clothes off the soldiers. The soldiers took their clothes off themselves because they were not going to be cowed by anybody. And they walked onto that frozen pond, all 40 of them, knowing that their fate would be death unless they renounced Jesus. Throughout the middle of the night, they were given multiple pleas to come back in because they were valuable soldiers. They were elite, but no one would leave. Finally, there was one guy who ran off the pond, jumped into the bath in the hot water. The shock to his system killed him immediately. Another guard who noticed the courage and belief of these four, now 39 soldiers was so moved by their faith that he willingly took off his clothes and went and stood with the other 39, becoming a perfect 40 again. Why would they give their life to Jesus? Why wouldn't they just say, hey, listen, I don't believe in Jesus. I renounce him now. Can I have a, a warm bath and a nice cup of tea uh, or Diet Coke? or whatever, and just go on with my life. I can always accept Jesus later on. What would cause them to give the ultimate sacrifice for something that they didn't have to die for if they would just say the words? It's because they knew deep in their heart who Jesus was. They knew that Jesus had taken them from being far away from him to bringing them close to him, that he had transformed their lives and their faith and their belief changed them because friends, this life is not all that there is. If this life is all that there is, you and I are sunk because we don't look as good as we used to. And our health is not as good as it used to be. And our future is not so bright. But when you have Jesus Christ in your life, you know that this is not the end. You know that this is not finished. That we have a better life to live. That there is a new reality. That we are going to shed these broken down old bodies and we are going to exchange them for new redeemed bodies. Turn to the person next to you and say, man, you're getting old. Now, if you're married and it was just your wife who said that, say, honey, you look just as good as you ever did. Saving marriages all over Daytona today. But it wasn't just 320 AD where people had that kind of faith that would change them. I've shared several times of my opportunity to talk to a group of Christians who live in a closed country where Christianity is, is illegal, where Bibles are illegal. When you ask them how they came to Christ, they'll tell you usually one of three ways. Someone had the courage to tell them about Jesus 
or they simply read the Bible without anyone sharing with them and the Holy Spirit moved them. And so they accepted Jesus or they saw Jesus in a vision or a dream. I was sitting online with these, with 12 students and a translator. And I said, so you take Bibles and you just leave them on park benches. You hand them to friends. And that's how people come to Christ. Yeah, it's crazy. One of, one of the ladies said that she was on a bus and found a Bible in her own language sitting next to her. She picked it up and began reading it. And she came to Christ through that. I said, but aren't you scared? Because you know that the government of the country you live in, if they catch you, I mean, won't you be tortured and eventually killed? And the translator looked at me and he said, yeah, but they got to catch us first. I believed and so I acted because I know that there is a greater hope. And so when we are lying in a hospital bed or in hospice, or as our life breath is getting ready to expire its last, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Because we know that the best is yet to come. So belief should also inspire us to share. Verse 15 says, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great. What's that word? Thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory because he loved. Everyone deserves the opportunity for grace. The second verse that I taught my kids, I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an eight-week-old. The second verse that I taught my kids, the first one was, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The second one that I wanted to teach them was this. It's, it's an obscure verse in the Bible. Hardly anyone knows it. But I'm going to share with you my translation because I rewrote it for myself and for my kids, and you can't do anything about it. So this is how it goes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I like the word everlasting better than eternal because everlasting shares a vision in our mind of something that never ends. But my wife, my wife, was dead set that they also must learn verse 17. You know what verse 17 says? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to give you life. I wonder how many of you are struggling today with secret sin, with past regrets, with open wounds. Man, Jesus wants to take all that stuff. He wants to take all that stuff and get rid of it. You are redeemed. You are remade. You are God's most valuable, beautiful treasure. Won't you believe that about yourself today? Because Jesus has claimed you as his. And so why wouldn't we want to share this great news? 
Why wouldn't in a world filled with darkness and conflict and politics and hatred, why wouldn't we want to share this amazing news about Jesus' love? One of my favorite stories is a story by, about a guy by the name of Charles Peace. Charles Peace lived in the late 19th century, the late 1800s. He was a... Um, Really, he was kind of a celebrated burglar. Uh, he was, if they would have had a 10 most wanted on the FBI list, he was kind of on one of those lists back in the day. Eventually, he committed a double murder and he was captured. He was taken before the magistrate or the judge and the judge sentenced him to death to hang in the gallows. Um, Charles Peace wasn't overly concerned about it. He had a healthy breakfast that morning and uh, he was getting ready to walk to his fate. He was going to spit, spit at death in the eye. And so as he began walking towards the gallows and the crowds had gathered around because execution in those days was a, was a public spectacle. There was a minister that was walking beside him, sharing with him what we call the consolation of religion. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. Your life doesn't have to end today. And all the while he was walking towards the gallows, this minister continued to unfeelingly say these words and share these words of transformation. Charles Peace stopped in the middle of this journey and he turned towards the pastor. He said, do you really believe this? Do you really believe what you're saying? Because if you believed what, if I believed what you were saying was true, I would willingly crawl across England on broken glass to tell other people. How much do you believe? How much does this treasure and your broken body matter to you? Why wouldn't we want to share it with every person that we can? Not because we're trying to push politics or religion. There's three things you never talk about in households, right? Politics, religion, and basketball. <laughs> this treasure that you have has the ability to change and save marriages and reconstruct families and bring hope to those who have lived with regret and heartbreak and open scars and open wounds. And you have the key, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is to change that person's life. So what are you going to do about it? For we have these treasures and fragile clay jars. We are the fellowship of the cracked pots. Let's get as many as we can because they need to hear the truth too. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the way that you love us. And I don't know how we're going to be changed, Lord. I don't know what you want to do inside of us, but I know that you want to do a great work. And Lord, I know that for some of us, we are afraid and we don't know what to say. But God, here's the thing. I'm reminded of John, of Acts chapter, uh, excuse me, John chapter eight, when the woman who had been married multiple times and was living with the, the weight of a solid reputation. And God, she uh, was talked about by other women, women. She came to the well when no one else was there. And Jesus encountered her and said, look, 
can I have a drink? And she said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why would I give you a drink? And he said, if you knew (laughs) the water that I offered, uh, you would ask me for a drink for this water will allow you to never thirst again. Gosh, she didn't have to have the answers. All you asked her to do was go and share the word and say, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. It's a story of a changed life, of a redeemed life. And so God, even if we're afraid that we don't have the answers, we know that there are folks that we can bring them to here at church, uh, to pray with them, to talk with them. And so God, all we need to do is have the courage to ask or invite. Help us to boldly do that, Lord, because we've got this treasure in jars of clay that everyone else needs to hear. God, give us courage. Help us to act on what we say we believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.